Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Birth Story Podcast. As you can probably tell by my voice, I am not the fearless and incredible host of this podcast, Heidi, but she asked me to introduce today's episode, and I was more than happy to. My name is Kristen Stigall, and my team at Novice Studios, namely my talented editor Adam, has been producing the last several episodes of the show to help Heidi bring the incredible stories of so many birthing persons and pregnancy and birth-focused businesses to you. If you are a podcaster or aspire to start your own podcast, please check us out at novicestudiosclt.com, or you can find us on Instagram at novicestudiosclt. I met Heidi several years ago through an event, and she was the first person that I reached out to when I found out I was pregnant for the first time in January 2020. Heidi and her doula partner Colin helped me bring my rainbow baby Jack into the world last October. My husband and I took Birth Story Academy, and I am so glad we did because we were able to make medically informed decisions about our birth and newborn preferences, and we were able to have as much of a quote-unquote natural birth as possible in a hospital setting. I did have a C-section, but with Heidi and Colin talking me through the possibilities, assuring me that this was the best option for my health and for my baby's health, and then being a resource to help us heal from that birth, we seriously could not have done it without them. Make sure to check out Birth Story Academy. It will be such an informative and empowering resource so you and your partner are as prepared as possible for an experience that can get very wild and very unpredictable, but boy, does it have the best payoff ever. In today's episode, we have Rhea Williams, a certified nurse midwife, spinning babies trainer, and the founder of Functional Midwifery Services, which offers integrative nutrition for reproductive health and hormonal health and metabolic health nutritional services. In this episode, she is sharing prenatal nutrition info to help you feel as good as possible during your pregnancy and to support your health and your baby's health. Plus, her birth story of unintentionally having her first baby at home because she missed the signs of labor progression. You do not want to miss this story. If you'd like to learn more about Raya's services, you can contact her at Raya, that's R-H-E-A, Williams at functionalmidwiferyservices.com. I hope you enjoy today's episode. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey, Rhea Williams, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you doing today? I am good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So Rhea and I met last summer in Charlotte, North Carolina. Rhea came to do a spinning babies training, you guys. And it was really cool. It was actually with an entire healthcare system. So doulas, midwives, obstetricians, nurses, anybody who wanted to take the course could be there. And so it was really fun as a doula to come and to learn from Rhea. And I hunted her down afterwards and was like, can we talk about birthy things together? Yeah. So thanks for being here. Rhea, tell us a little bit about who you are, where where are you in the world, and what you're up to. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, so I am a certified nurse midwife, and I, I love every part about that. Um, I do still practice clinically. Uh, my full-time gig is I, I teach. I get to teach the future of nursing and midwifery, which is really great. I live in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. I'm kind of like halfway between D.C. and halfway between Baltimore for looking at region specific. I kind of really have these two lovely teenagers. <laughs> They're quite interesting human beings and learning to parent teenagers is a whole different ballgame. I keep telling myself, I think I can do the toddler phase again over this. I think I can do the toddler phase over this. Um, and my husband, he's God amazing. Um, just very supportive. And that is me. I live around the corner from my mother, which is really nice because we get to walk around. And I'm also a dog mom to a beagle, which is a whole different experience in itself, might I say. It is. Okay, so how did you get into midwifery? Like, does one wake up, you know, as someone who's not a midwife and say, you know, I think I would like to be a midwife? How did you learn what a midwife is? Right. It, it was all kind of like what I like to call accidental, but as I'm learning now and growing and evolving in my place in the world and just, just being in my body, it's just, I guess it was like serendipity. I think the birth of my son really changed my perspective on birth in the U.S. And I say this um, as a um, birthing person that lived in Okinawa, Japan during my first pregnancy. And my husband was in the military at that time. And my first exposure to obstetrics was my pregnancy experience. Prior to that, I was living my best life as a new college graduate, new new wife, um, really in my head, when we get back from Japan, I'm going to go to medical school. And this is what I'm going to do. Because from the time I was nine, all I knew was I want to deliver babies. And now I don't even use the word deliver because that is just archaic in itself, in my opinion. So it really was my exposure to my birth. Uh, I remember distinctly walking in to um, my first OB visit. I was super excited and felt quite crummy um, in itself. And we had the new visit. It was a very quick visit. And I remember saying to the OBGYN at the time, and mind you, this person was also expecting my general plan is to just not have an epidural. Like that's not what I really want to do. I want to just support what my body's going to do. Uh, that person looked at me and laughed in my face and said, yeah, let's see what happens when you get to the birth. And I was like, oh, okay. So then my follow-on question, I just was kind of taken back by that. I, um, I kind of asked her, I said, look, I am comfortable in the body that I'm living in, but I really want to help my growing baby have all of the stuff that he needs. We didn't know it was he at the time. I, I would like to see a nutritionist. And she gave me a referral for a dietitian, a military dietitian. And I was excited. I was like, great. I get to sit down. I get to learn about what I can do to really help my pregnancy. Then I saw the nutritionist and I remember that visit. And that visit went something like, okay, so this is what you want to do. Here's this packet of information. And then that was the visit. And I was just like, wait a minute, I, I'm missing so many pieces here. So during my time living in Japan, I really was exposed to how they ate differently and their health and all of those pieces. So I said, you know, I, I think I want to be a nutritionist. So um, after the birth of my son, which I'm just, I came back to the States, I actually saw midwives. It was happenstance. Um, I was looking for a practice that was closer to the hospital that, um, well, the closest hospital. And that was Stony Brook because I was living in New York. Okay. That's where I'm kind of from. Okay. Um, and they said, well, I called practices, like who's going to accept me as a transfer? I was, I think, 27 weeks gestation at that time, traveling from the States to, because I couldn't, uh, my husband was due to PCS someplace else, that's deploy someplace else. Um, and that was a practice that accepted me. And they said, we have mid Midwives. I said, I, okay. <laughs> like I, I had no idea what a midwife was this 17 years ago. I'm like, all right, that's great. I saw the midwives and it just, it was really different. 
it was more so of education and empowerment where they asked me about me. They gave me um, education that felt centered around my needs. Um, it, it was just really different. And I felt heard. I felt kind of seen. And I still didn't get to midwifery yet, interestingly enough. But the odd part of it is I was so kind of in tune with what was happening with my body that I missed all of the signals of labor. And I delivered, well, I caught, I didn't catch. I had my first baby at home in the room that I grew up in as a kid as an emergency because I was completely oblivious to all factors. So that wow. was my first. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, well, Rhea, you cannot just glaze over that birth story. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to get to that birth story. I'm going to yeah. get right there. But I do have a couple follow-up questions for you. Yeah. So you're in Japan, you're 27 years old, and you're thinking, I'm going to go to medical school and I'm going to be an obstetrician. Where I'm very confused is what made you think about prenatal nutrition? Because it's just something we don't have data on. We don't have research on. There's very few books out there, you know, yes. like... And this is 17 years ago, you said, like, yes. what made you go, hey, I need to think about my nutrition. I just think that that's not something a lot that crosses a lot of people's minds. So it really had to do with my exposure to uh, the Okinawan women that I worked with, because I worked for HR at that time. Um, and I think I was 25 or so when this whole process kind of Oh, started. never mind. You were 27 weeks gestation when you got yeah. back to you. Know, I don't even remember how, like, I wait a minute. I think, wait, was I 25? I feel like I was not 25 because I got married at 23. I had Isaiah at 25. Okay, okay. so there we go. So I jumped you. <laughs> I jumped you to 27 <laughs> when you were 27 weeks gestation. So uh, forgive it, everyone. <laughs> From 23 to 25, um, before I was expecting, I worked with the nationals very closely and it just was very perplexing to me. That was the first time I was actually exposed to what a portion size actually was. Um, because remember at that time, 17 years ago, we were in the supersize me zone. So everything in my mind was like, oh, okay, supersize me. Um, in my household, we ate until we were full. Granted, I didn't eat a lot of food because I was living my best life as a teenager before I went off to college. But looking at the health of the Okinawan um, natives and how long they lived, that really made me think. I said, well, what are we doing differently? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know more about that, especially when I was pregnant, because I wanted to set my child up for the best success. And what we do know now is that what you do during your pregnancy can actually transcend three different generations. So the foods that we eat, the things that we do, just those pieces of the puzzle, I was like, what is, what is going on? It was all about curiosity, which is kind of how my career evolved all about curiosity. It's like, I don't understand why we're doing this. Okay. How does it make sense? What do we do? So I wanted to have a foundation. I wanted to work outside with nutrition because when I got back to the States, I was like, why are so many people diabetic? Why are people getting sick in pregnancy? And that is like, I want to work with individuals that need that support, especially individuals that don't have the knowledge to know that, hey, I've got $25 on this card right here. I can still have a healthy meal for my family for the two weeks with this card. So that was where my exposure with Share Our Strength, it was just like this whole process that just evolved from me being curious. Yes. Okay. Now, what was one of your favorite traditional meals that you would have or that you enjoyed when you were in Okinawa? This was also really perplexing to me. So I didn't get to eat sushi when I was pregnant, um, but the, the natives did. So prior to pregnancy, the sushi there was absolutely amazing. 
let's see, what dish was my favorite? It was the chicken curry, um, which is very different. Why it's my was my favorite is because in my culture, I'm Caribbean, we have curry chicken. Um, but in Okinawa, they had this curry dish that was really rich in a different way. And it was one of my favorite pastimes to go to this little kind of what I call the hole in the wall with my husband. And we sat down and we ate the chicken curry. It was just amazing. Okay. <laughs> now... Here in the U.S., as you know, you transferred 27 weeks gestation. Yeah. No, you know. <laughs> um, but you said you saw a nutritionist. Was that someone that was like a specifically a perinatal nutritionist or just a nutritionist? And were they part of the like, were you on a military base? Like, I just mm-hmm. feel like even right now in 2023, if one of my dual clients said, I would like to talk to a nutritionist. I'm I'm not even sure we have a ton of nutritionists that focus or know much about perinatal nutrition. So I was just sort of wondering in Japan, is that different? Are they light years ahead of us? So I was military, so we saw only military personnel. I'm, I wasn't 100% sure that this person exclusively dealt with the prenatal population. My my feeling was based off of my interactions that it was just kind of a one-size-fit-all. Um, and just that experiencing, me coming back to the States, seeing what happens in the world of birth, that is what led me to launch the business that I have now, which is Functional Midwifery Services, because just like you said, what's the difference between having uh, milk versus having almond milk? How is that going to play a role in our inflammatory process that actually inf- uh, impacts the pregnancy if you're already starting out pregnant with a higher inflammatory process already going on in your body? That actually boils down to nutrition. And um, part of the reason why I became a midwife is because seeing what happens when you integrate nutrition and medicine, there is still that disconnect. I was like, wait a minute, there's a disconnect here um, because we're still looking at it from the one pill fits all model. And I get that we have uh, guidelines, like I follow ACOG guidelines, but I also look at a person from their individual standpoint, meet them where they are and understand what's happening in the cellular level related to nutrition. And, and that's the thing. It, the the idea of just gestational diabetes for itself is part of an inflammatory process that our bodies actually respond to with the presentation of gestational diabetes. It's it's very interesting how big of a role nutrition plays, but how little of a focus we have in the states really intervening or preventing with nutrition-based therapies that are integrative and functional. Yeah, and I remember... And my children are seven and eight, Rhea. Okay, so this is not like that long ago, right? And even my clients now, they'll hear this over and over again. Well, the baby will take from you what the baby needs. Okay, well, great. What about me? (laughs) You know what I mean? So one of the the big questions, I got to get to your birth story in a minute because we just like, but I was like, this is just so fascinating to me is like, where did you turn then? Or like, where do you turn now? Like, I find it very hard to find research on perinatal nutrition, but like, Mm -hmm. where are you finding your research or your concepts or like, does that make sense? Like, how are you like treating in your business today with your, um, I'm assuming you see pregnancy, postpartum and trying to conceive, but like within those scopes, like where are you finding information to give to your clients. So I did a post masters. My my degree is in nutrition and food science and I had the idea of like am I going to go the dietetics route? It didn't sit well with me because it felt like it, in the time that I was studying, now things have changed. It felt like it still was missing that well, what about the whole person, right? So I went to Maryland University of Integrative Health and did a post-master's certificate in um, clinical nutrition with an integrative focus. In that, I was exposed to uh, um, individuals like Dr. Ram, phenomenal. Um, and I may pronounce her name wrong. I think it's Aviva Ram. I am such a huge fan. Um, and the Institute of Functional Medicine, 
And knowing those kind of aspects to look at the person from that lens, plus combining my midwifery training, it really opened up my eyes to say, all right, I know what's happening at the cellular level and all of these different organ processes are changing. And I also know what's happening in the nutrition world at the cellular metabolism world. Let's marry these two together um, and really approach it from that aspect because it is really not about weight. And I know that's part of the standard step on the scale. You've gained six pounds. Let's talk about eat healthy. But I bet you if I asked you what's healthy, I'd have 10 different examples. My son thinks ramen noodles is healthy because it has the dehydrated fruit and vegetables in it, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but it's really about looking at the whole person and meeting them where they are and helping to empower them to make changes that they feel that they can support. Because I can tell a person until they're blue in the face, hey, when you're sick and you're eating or consuming dairy products that do not have, uh, that have antibiotic fed dairy sources, you're actually increasing your risk of inflammatory um, processes in the body, which contributes to gut dysbiosis, diabetes. I mean, a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. So I know at your company, well, in your practice, functional midwifery services, you guys are looking at the individual as an individual, but you know, for the people listening to the podcast where you yeah. don't get to have a one-on-one -on -one session with them today. Yeah. Like what are, what were some key takeaways from your own pregnancies through your practice? Like if you were to say like, here are five or six foods that like no pregnant person should have in their diet or here are five or six foods that every pregnant person should have in their diet. Like, are there a couple of key takeaways? You can give us a few secrets. Yeah. So uh, the first thing that I kind of highly suggest to avoid are foods that contain high contents of saturated fat. Uh, the reason being is because what saturated fat does is it is highly inflammatory in our diet. Um, it is very inflammatory and that can contribute to problems. We don't 100% know the mechanism of preterm labor. We don't know uh, why people develop gestation diabetes per se, but we do know that part of the process deals with inflammation, right? And if you're taking in saturated fats, those are highly inflammatory. Consuming on the opposite end, foods that are rich in antioxidants are really going to be helpful. So usually at this point in time, I say, whatever you do, if you're going to consume fruits and vegetables, change your color profile up um, throughout the week. Just change to different colors. If you can get that in your plate, that'd be great. Another source that I really love to focus on because it gives people options um, is really try to plus up your fiber. And I usually tell people, please go slow or else your stomach is not going to be happy with you. Plus up your fiber because what fiber does is it really helps to move things along and eliminates things from your body. Water, I know that's such a hard thing to consume as a pregnant person, but my uh, my tips of the trade for water is um, slow and steady rinse the race, not fast and furious, right? So if you're beginning your day and you're in that first trimester of nausea and just, what is this? I usually tell people, if you can take in eight ounces of water and you can match that with super cold ice if that makes your heart happy, even though we don't really like to drink icy water because it's not great for our digestive system, but we're on survival mode first trimester. Um, super cold ice water, if that what's work for you or take your favorite fruits and vegetables, like I say this, like cucumbers, ginger, you know, uh, strawberries, all different things, put them in the freezer put them in your water, drink eight ounces every hour, hour minus the last two hours of your day, you really help to support your needs in the body. Because many of the things that I see in triage, for example, can be secondary to dehydration. So if we can prevent that from happening, your body feels better when it's hydrated. Um, and other foods to avoid, of course, these are just pregnancy safety factors. Anything that's raw, and this is where the question, well, I, I take ACV, I take a teaspoon or a tablespoon of ACV every day. And I'm like, well, if it's raw, what we don't want to do is we don't want to have any bacterials that'll cause problems. And that, that becomes the, that's why I didn't get to have sushi during pregnancy. Um, kimchi is one of those fermented foods that people are also supposed to avoid as well. Although they have great nutritional value, we just don't want to have a bad batch and you're sick. And this actually affects 
your lovely growing fetus. Um, I think those are my definite take homes uh, for things I would say in a nutshell, pick from the different categories that fit into those things and make sure that you diversify your protein sources. Rhea, those are such amazing tips. One thing that I want to go back on is when you said saturated fats. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things that I know is that like we say all these things and then people are, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, wait, what is a saturated fat? So could you just give an example of something that like is a saturated fat that you're like, this is a, a specific example of something to avoid? There are saturated fats. So if you love juicy, delicious, lovely steak and you're at the grocery store getting ready to go purchase your cut of steak, those kind of white little marbly pieces, that can be fat, right? Then you look at the food label. And I need to take a quick turn back because we're not talking about um, fats like coconut oil because those are considered a different kind of little parentheses. So coconut oil is really healthy for you in moderation. I'm talking about the bad fats that actually cause an inflammatory Um, kind of response in the body. So what you can do is look at the food label. On the food label, it says total fat content, and then it tells you the percentages in the grams. Then you look under saturated fat, and then it should, you're hoping that nothing says trans fat. (laughs) Nothing says trans fat. And then you look for the saturated fat content. If it has saturated fat, you want to try to consider your thought process. And what I mean by thought process is, do I really need this food? Do I really want this food? I may go against all nutritionists when I say this, but if something is sitting in your soul and you're like, I need this item right now, if I say it has saturated fat, you shouldn't have it. Your brain is going to say, I'm going to want more and then I'm going to binge. So uh, consider that, do I need to have the whole thing? Is this going to be a treat that I work myself up to? I'm looking for something that is continuous. We don't want continuous consumption of bad fats. That's what we don't want. And we want a nice balance of healthy fats as well. Um, And that's stuff like getting your omega-3-6 combination. And that can be found in the biggest thing that I usually tell people is when you're trying to figure things out, just start by looking at the numbers on the label because then we'll we'll plus up and, and add into that knowledge by starting to look at the hidden ingredients in the ingredient list. Um, so those are the pieces of the puzzle because reading the label is sometimes very new for people, but start with the food label. Grocery shopping, I usually try to say that out of perimeter really gives you a good source of balance, um, but pay attention to your meat sources because some meat sources have a higher saturated content like sausage, delicious. My lo- my kids love it. Um, they kind of did a upheaval and turn over the household when I said, we're not going to do pork-based sausage anymore. So we don't do pork products in our house, but they've adapted to chicken sausage and I make mine at home, it's cheaper <laughs> and it's, I know what's in it. Um, but in the store, you got to take a look at those things. Yeah. You, gotta take a look. you do. Okay. And so I've got a couple things I want to build off on this. And that is for a lot of the listeners that are on WIC and they're like, I hear you, Rhea, right? But yeah. like these outer aisles, they my budget doesn't go as far for myself or my family. Are there like a couple of just like key items that you know, like that may fit into someone's budget that are just really, really Mm -hmm. important? Like I know that organic is like more expensive than the non-organic, but are there for those that are, um, you know, really conscious about budget and are intimidated by those outer fresh aisles, are there a couple of just key food items that you're like, just pick this up every time you're at the grocery store. Yeah. So uh, I definitely want to say that's actually where my origin came from. 
because when I decided I was going to do nutrition and food science as my uh, kind of degree focus, I did an internship with um, kind of Head Start in Washington, D.C., and I worked with Share Our Strength, which we specifically worked in an environment of low resource, low income. So we showed individuals how to navigate. We went to Safeway as a field trip. Everybody got a $25 gift card and said, let's make a meal, right? Um, So, and this was over in U Street, gosh, like 15, 16 years ago. So now let's fast forward to how are we going to eat healthy in a budget? And I also like to say this because I've had the opportunity and the honor, I I think, to work with um, birthing people that don't even have a home. They live in a shelter. So all they have access to is a microwave and fast food. So we also work in the perimeter of, okay, this is what you have access to. How are we going to work within your area to get to where you want to be, right? So if you're looking for things that fit, let's go back to the label. Cause I, I kind of try to avoid saying, pick up this exact item. What I say is look at your label. You want to avoid the saturated fat. You want to look for sources of fiber. And I usually say, if you can find a source of fiber per serving that has um, kind of three plus, I love five grams of fiber per serving, okay. then we're okay because you're balancing it. But if you're going to go in the inside aisles, look for balance, right? You want to look for stuff that has protein with lower saturated fat and definitely avoid trans fat. So on the label, you'll see total fat, total carbohydrates, total protein, and then it has the micronutrients and stuff listed there. You want to look for under total carbohydrates, it's going to say added sugars. Try to avoid things that say added sugars if you can, because all that's going to do is really mess with your blood sugar stabilization and your insulin response. But underneath that same carbohydrate um, line, you'll see added sugars and you'll see fiber. You want to look for that. And then, like I said, in the fat earlier, you want to look for stuff that doesn't have um, the saturated fat or trans fat and protein in pregnancy. We need protein. Um, So you want to make sure that you're getting in protein sources as well. And you can do that through your meats. If you're a vegetarian, beans are your friend, Um, but also understand that beans have a great source of fiber and your body will respond if you're not used to eating a lot of fiber and you need to match fiber and water together. So those are my if we're start shopping inside, really take some time to look at the label and never shop hungry. Yes, because you will get a whole bunch of things that you do not yeah. need and will blow your budget. <laughs> um, I think that's a really good tangible advice to start with. So the other question to this is we've touched on it a little bit today, but like why? What is the consequence if we don't do these things? If we don't focus on nutrition in our pregnancies, in our trying to conceive journey, in our postpartum journey, what happens to our body and our baby when we're not focused on nutrition? I think one of the examples that I can give is protein status. Um, It's really important to get in good quality protein because protein is needed for tissue repair. Protein is needed for healing. So if you're not getting in enough protein, and let's say, for example, you birthed this amazingly lovely new human but you had to get a couple of stitches in your vaginal area, in your perineal area, if you don't have an adequate amount of protein, that could really change your healing process. Um, Protein is also really helpful in minimizing the um, kind of risk for depression, not necessarily more so if you're not getting an adequate nutrition and sleep, you have a higher chance of having postpartum depression, right? Um, Prenatally, Yes, many practices have you get on a scale, but if you're consuming too much sodium, for example, that can really contribute to edema and swelling in those legs that really can feel firm and uncomfortable. If you're consuming foods that are highly inflammatory, like saturated fats, or you're consuming foods that have tons of added sugar, what's going to happen is you're like, yes, this is great. My brain is going to get the signaling that this feels yummy and delicious, but it's going to shoot your blood sugar up. And then probably less than an hour later, you're going to have that crash. You're like, I need to eat again. And what's going to happen, that's going to cause a little bit of dysregulation with your blood sugar, and that can increase the chances of you having to 
have that diagnosis of gestational diabetes, or if you have that diagnosis of gestational diabetes, it can progress to medication controlled if you're not able to navigate your diet a little bit differently. Not to say that individuals that navigate their diet well won't transition to medication controlled diabetes. I'm just saying that there's a lot that can be done to prevent the inflammatory process because in pregnancy, you have a pro-inflammatory state and an anti-inflammatory state that's activated. In a normal, healthy cellular function, that balances really well. But if you're starting the process where you're already at a little bit of a disadvantage, I don't like that word, but I can't think of a better word, um, with your body's responses, then the pro-inflammatory responses during pregnancy win. Hmm. Now I'm going to ask you something kind of controversial <laughs> because, and I, I hesitate almost to ask this because okay. I don't want to like, my fear is that I'm going to create shame in someone with preeclampsia, right? Yeah. Um, there is some thought out there that we may have a little bit of control about, <laughs> over preeclampsia from diet. Is that true? Okay. So, um, again, just like many things in the OB world, we don't know the why of many things. But what we do know is we do know that um, inflammation in the body causes dysregulation in function in cellular function. That is something we do know. There are plenty of studies out there that talk about it. As a matter of fact, kind of like the, the popular terms right now that are coming about are leaky gut and this, that, and the third. SIBO, for example, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, all contribute to inflammatory responses in the body. Where we're thinking nutrition could play a role and help to minimize outcomes pertaining to blood pressure related issues in pregnancy is really helping to reduce the inflammatory response to nutrition in the body. So what that looks like is earlier I mentioned coloring your plate. When you color your plate, you give your body antioxidants that help to fight the free radicals from oxidative stress. What that means is I take in a bunch of food or I have something that I consume that is high in saturated fat or just not healthy. My body's going to say, all right, I'll digest it. No problem. But here's the side effect of all of these things. And then my body goes into this inflammatory process. And on top of that, we have alterations in how our cardiac system functions, our digestive system functions, our endocrine system function. And when you have all of those things, just tipping the scale with diet can take you into a full-blown diagnosis. So it can help to control the process from some degree. It may not work for everyone, but we do know that diet is directly linked to cardiovascular health, in addition to, of course, exercise and movement, but we do know that it is linked. So it's the same mechanism that we do say, like the old school is like, let's do the DASH diet when you're looking at somebody with hypertension diagnosis or the Mediterranean diet, for example. That's because we know what food does to the body. People have to go back to what we did and what we thought about as food is medicine. Food is medicine. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a follow-up to that then too, yeah. is um, there's a lot of controversy out there also about supplements, right? When I became pregnant, my mother-in-law, when I had alluded to taking a prenatal vitamin, she was like, she's a nurse you know, she's from Hawaii. She's very much about eating nutrition. Mm -hmm. They're ranchers in Montana. And she was like, do not, you do not swallow that prenatal vitamin. Like if you need folate, these are the foods that you get it from You're mm -hmm. you make your plate colorful. And she really believed that swallowing a vitamin would do myself and my baby more harm than, you know, eating the nutritious food. And so I wanted to the first thing that happens, at least in my state in North Carolina, is they're going to put you on a prenatal vitamin and probably an omega. And mm -hmm. um, 
and then maybe even just a folate supplement. And so I wanted to get your opinion. Like if someone was coming to see you with functional midwifery services or consulting with you, are these things that you're recommending? Do you see value in supplements? The easiest way to answer that question is is a two-part. I'm going to answer it according to just looking at the population as a whole. The population as a whole are missing key categories of nutrients, micronutrients. That's a key. The goal of the prenatal vitamin is to kind of put a patch onto that so that we can have a healthy pregnancy. Um, So for me, I don't take, and I did not take a multivitamin consistently, a prenatal vitamin consistently. So I I took it because that was what was given to me. But did I take it consistently? No, I did not. What I do now, me personally, is I don't take a multivitamin. I agree with your mom that kind of, you can eat your vitamins and it'll absorb better in your body. But is that feasible for everyone? No, because that goes back to our conversation of sometimes we're just dealing with our EBT card and we've got to get by so we can't get all of the nutrients that we need. And we do know that nutrient deficiencies are really linked to some adverse outcomes in the new neonate and in childhood. But for me, what I also look at is I really like to look at is I look at a person's vitamin D status. So I may end up asking them if they'd like to see if they were vitamin D deficient. Most of us are vitamin D deficient. And we think about vitamin D as just bone health, but it really actually deals with inflammatory health. I mean, not inflammatory health, but um, more so immune health as well. I mean, that came about in COVID, the earlier phases, vitamin D deficient individuals did did not have as great outcomes as individuals that were sufficient. And they're like, wait a minute. Oh, the public now knows that vitamin D is one of the things we need to look at. So in in my kind of consultation-based services, when I'm dealing with nutrition, I'm looking for the signs of deficiency prior to pregnancy to help guide my recommendations. In a nutshell, do I think that um, a prenatal vitamin is going to cause harm? No, because the water-soluble vitamins are going to be eliminated if you take in too much through the urine. And the fat-soluble vitamins are actually such a low dose that the toxicity is not going to happen. We have alterations in how we actually eliminate fat during pregnancy. So we do have that risk factor of toxicity. But with the standard prenatal vitamin, it's not going to cause harm. Um, What I suggested, depending on the person, if I know that they're not getting in quality nutrition, I'm going to say, hey, would you mind taking a vitamin? This is the recommendation. And this is why. And this is what we can work towards. So, but I definitely try not to associate that kind of guilt if you didn't take your prenatal vitamin routinely and and consistently. I don't want to do that because actually that that can change the physiology of somebody's pregnancy by guilting them for what they didn't do adequately. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing is really important for those listeners is to kind of Do an inventory with yourself right now and what your budget is, what your diet looks like, what is feasible, what's reality. And then if you have the opportunity or accessibility to blood work, then have some blood work done to see if you already have some existing deficiencies. Um, Really, really good advice, Rhea. Thank you so much. I do have lots of other questions, but I want to take a pause now. Okay. I would like to, because I think I don't know exactly your story, but I feel like I it would lead me into this. So part of nutrition we talk about in my own doula business is um the integrity of the amnion and the chorion and like a strong mm-hmm. sack. Um, mm-hmm. and there's different things that I would love to hear from you on as far as like nutritional values that like really help can help strengthen that sack and keep it intact um, through much of the labor. And then we have mm-hmm. premature mm-hmm. rupture of the membranes and we have preterm premature rupture of the membrane yeah. can rupture at any point. But where I'm going with this question is back to your birth story. <laughs> you said you kind of like were at home and you were in denial. Mm-hmm. Was your water intact? So uh, this was the oblivious first time 
pregnant person giving birth. Uh, I woke up from Hold a nap. On. Hardly oblivious. The girl who like goes to see a nutritionist, hardly oblivious. Give yourself some credit. But so you woke you up know, from a nap. <laughs> taken, taken. I think for me, the end of pregnancy, I, and this is why I have such a strong love for spinning babies because the end of my pregnancy was so painful. Um, my lovely son was sitting on my joints in hindsight. I knew I had pelvic issues because of what I learned now with spinning babies. So everything was painful. Um, I remember the day that I gave birth to Isaiah, I went and took a nice, lovely nap. And then I woke up from the nap with this sudden urge to urinate. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Like, hopefully this will work out. And as I'm walking to the bathroom, boom, all of this fluid comes out. My mind does not correlate that with my water breaking at all. It's like, oh, great. I just peed myself. Now I've got to clean it up. Fabulous. Um, still on the toilet, still thinking that I'm peeing. I was like, I can't even feel that I'm peeing. This is something interesting. My husband wakes up and mind you, he had just gotten back into the country um, literally the night before from Japan. Um, he would have missed the birth if he got there one day later wow. and all of his luggage was lost. So we were shopping in the mall before I got home to take a nap. And every three minutes hindsight, I was stopping like, Oh, <laughs> something is feeling funny in my rectal area, but let's keep shopping. <laughs> you know, those were contractions mm -hmm. <laughs> Went to sleep. And walking was now. helpful to progress yeah. that. <laughs> Absolutely. I was walking. I was moving. I ate in the mall. It wasn't the healthiest meal. Please don't ask me what it was because I am very shameful <laughs> that I had a big, fat, unhealthy meal. But it was my best thing that I wanted to do. I was like, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to be happy and mm. I'm going to be fine. And fast forward, I'm sitting on the toilet, like I'm still being, I can't feel, I was like, this is so not sexy for my husband. Uh, this is great. My husband's like, I bet you're in labor. I said, I'm not in labor. Stood up, <laughs> had my first real contraction. I was like, I'm going to die. This is horrible. <laughs> like, I was like, all right, I need to take a shower. Great. Mind you, this is rush hour time in New York. The hospital outside of rush hour was 20 minutes away. Um, so I was like, we gotta go. And I got in a shower, had a couple of contractions and then I was like, all right, great. So then I did a little bit of peri care and I was like, oh my God, I'm bleeding. And I was like, we gotta go. It was a bloody show. But in my mind, I was like, this is like, okay. And I had taken Bradley classes. So I was trying to get into my Bradley mind and my husband was trying to get me there. I was like, I just want the pain to stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> instinctively, I went back to my bedroom, got on all fours, did some cat cows because I was like, this is what feels good with my body at this point in time. Then, although that was my water breaking, what was interesting is I felt this huge pop and this relief. And I was like, oh, but then shortly after the next contraction hit and I was like, honey, <laughs> call 911. He was like, why? I was like, because I'm going to have this baby now. Wow. Mind you, <laughs> My mother's running up and down the stairs because I went to go live with her because my husband was deployed. Um, and she's like, okay, we're going to have a baby. And then my father's like nervous watching the dog because I had a lab at the time. And Isaiah was born within an hour of me waking up from my nap. And the funny thing is the midwives, every single time I see them at ACNM, I'm like, you guys, you're the reason why we became a midwife. They're like, yeah, we remember your birth story. Uh, yes. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that pop, did you have a four bag? I think so. Okay. I, I really think that was my four bag going because I felt urges to push, but I was like, okay, we can still make it. I'll just be in the car on hands and knees. It'll be okay. But once that four bag went, there was no stopping. And I mean, the cop got there, Isaiah was crowning and he was like, don't push. I'm like, <laughs> we're going to have a baby. <laughs> like I'm pushing. So Adrian actually caught Isaiah instinctively. He kind of cleared out his mouth. 
because apparently I was in this kind of euphoric zone where I was aware, but I was not aware of what was happening. Um, and then Isaiah cried and I was like, that is the best sound ever. Um, I am so thankful to have my husband there with me because I was in panic mode. Once I felt that pop, I was like, oh, that's probably why I scrubbed the floors yesterday. That was nesting. I was literally scrubbing hands and knees. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Could you visualize for the audience? I said four bag and then there's a lot of people that are like, what is she talking about? Could you visualize like probably the leaking that you had versus yeah. like four bag popping? So the way I like to explain it is I like to, if you visualize a kind of ping pong ball and you put that ping pong ball inside of a balloon and then you add water to that balloon. Now you've got the visual, the ping pong ball, consider that Isaiah's head. Um, So that ping pong ball was at kind of the stem, the bottom of the, the um, kind of uh, balloon. And I had a little leak. So it was like a little tiny hole, but Isaiah kept plugging it a little bit, but then finally he turned and I felt that turn happen and it moved out of the way. And at the same time, a contraction happened and it just went pop, that bag is gone. So, uh, that balloon just kind of balloon of fluid just went. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good visualization. So, would you consider your labor with Isaiah precipitous as Absolutely. you look back? Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. To and me, it is. Finding out that my mother had one as well with me. I was like, mom, you could have kind of told me that ahead of time because I could have given that information to the midwives. She had me precipitously. Um, and then I moved to Maryland and I purposely, we purposely searched for a house close to a hospital. So we, we live across the street from the hospital. <laughs> Okay. Now, did you make it to the hospital with your second? I did. The funny thing is the group of midwives that I was seeing at the time, and I actually ended up working for that group when I became a midwife. Um, they brought me in anytime. I was like, I don't, I think maybe not, but yeah. <laughs> and then when I actually was in labor, I was like, so are we, are we really staying here? Two hours, Ayana, my daughter was born. Um, at, and that's why my hat goes off to every single birthing person that labors unmedicated for hours on end. And I became a doula before I became a nurse because I wanted to have that exposure to just providing support and being present and advocating for that one family unit. But every person that labors more than three hours, you have my deepest deepest, sincerest support and hats off and thousand applause because it is, it's interesting. (laughs) I mean, and as doulas, we've supported and as a midwife, you've supported those precipitous fast ones and then those really long endurance births, you know, and um, it, I think it just builds empathy too. I think every single time. So, well, Rhea, these are This is a crazy birth story, but I had asked that question just to circle back on it because your water really was, your bag was strong and it was Mm -hmm. intact until an hour before, 45 minutes really, probably before delivery. And Mm -hmm. um, we know that that plays a role, right? And the way that we feel contractions, right? And the positioning Mm -hmm. of babies. So before we finish up today, we met at a spinning babies. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you were the teacher. And so I was wondering as we close, if you could just share a little bit about your experience as a midwife and a doula and a teacher with spinning babies and, you know, what some of your pivotal, like light bulb moments are with, yeah. um, with maternal and fetal positioning when, when a birthing person's laboring. Yes, uh, that's a great question. So um, just I came about in the spinning babies world because as a midwife, I, if you had, if you don't know this about me now, I like to ask a whole lot of why. Why is this? I don't understand the knowledge that I currently have now or learned is not answering this question. So one of my colleagues, I call her my school wife because we went through the program together um, and we're still kind of great friends. She said, let's go to this workshop. And I said, all right, I'm down for a road trip. Went to Spinning Babies and that changed my perspective. I can't unlearn and I can't unteach the way that I learn right now. And the one thing that I say a lot, and and some people take this in and some people are like, "Ah, this is not for me, is you really have to understand what's happening within the anatomy. 
Um, and because it's not necessarily just the shape of your pelvis that'll tell you whether the baby will fit. It's really what's happening in the soft tissue surrounding and supporting it. And there are things that we can do to kind of prepare for birth. And part of that is why we have our daily essentials on a spinning baby's website and our three balances. And it's just amazing to see what happens when you respect the innate power of soft tissue imbalance and the anatomy. Really, the baby responds to the balance that you give it. And what Spinning Babies has done for me is help me to understand what in the whole world is happening within the body, which is again, how I became a nutritionist before I became a midwife, what's happening. And for parents out there that are looking to say, I, I want to take back my birth, I want to be empowered, or parents uh, that are first time birth givers, or that have given birth before that just felt like their experience wasn't what they were hoping for, you know, you can go to Spinning Babies website, www.spinningbabies.com. And there is a parent tab that really you can join our blog for free. And what really I love about it is it talks about pregnancy, but it also says, hey, you're at this place in pregnancy, you're 15 weeks, let's start preparing your body for balance. And it gives you how to, what to do. And if you want more, on our website, there are parent educators that have that foreground, that foundation in spinning babies that can really help to provide that support. And then if you just don't know, one thing that I talk about a lot, I don't don't remember if I talked about this, but I probably did because I love the pelvic floor. During pregnancy, seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist is one of the things that you can do because you don't have to wait for a symptom to go get to go get an assessment and a pelvic floor physical therapist they're experts at it even before i send somebody to pt for discomforts associated in pregnancy i'll send them to pelvic floor pt before that because the pelvic floor could cause the issues that we're dealing with in the rest of our body um so those are kind of the things that i would probably say that helped me and just really digging deep into the anatomy at the cellular level. So I try to spend a lot of time really decoding the anatomy and what that can look like in terms of baby's position. The one thing I say to people, if you are out there in the birthing community or you're you're getting ready to have a baby and you're like, I don't know what's going on in my body. If you are prenatal and you are telling yourself that I have pain and someone is telling you that that is a normal discomfort, I caution you to go seek support um, for that pain because pain prenatally is really never normal. One thing that I tell people in the workshop all the time is that, you know, the back tells a story, but it's not the origin. If you have back pain, there's something going on. And why is that? I'm not talking about aches and discomforts. I'm talking about pain. Pain prenatally isn't normal. The pain that we expect is the pain of the labor contraction. So um, that's kind of like my prick and dirty. Yeah. No, I actually, um, my work partner, Colin, and I, we were in our head. This is months ago, but it was right after the Spinning Babies um, workshop. And, you know, you had just reminded us like, okay, pain is never normal in pregnancy. And we had had a client that had called about let's say two o'clock in the morning. And she was just having like just a little bit of pain in like her stomach. And she, you know, and she said, what do I do? And, you know, there was some part of you that wants to just go, oh, just, it's probably some gas or, you know, just try to Mm -hmm. just try to move your body and sit on the toilet or, you know, but something about that particular night and having just come off the spinning babies workshop and I had talked to her and I consulted with Colin and we were like, you know what, we're just going to send her into triage because we just said that pain like this pain is just not normal. We shouldn't be having pain or whatever. And, um, she ended up having help syndrome and she delivered about four hours later in an emergency C-section. And we were thinking, Good thing we sent her in, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it went from it's hurting and I don't know what's going on to like really, you know, the yep. the pain became pretty severe over the next couple hours. But you were in our head, and it's these little stories, Ria, that just hopefully remind you that every city that you go to, every class that you teach, like it is impacting um, birth work, and then it has those ripples effects, you know to others. So I'm so appreciative of what you do, what you're doing with your company. And um, before we close, I just want us to land there. 
okay. um, functional midwifery services. So to come kind of come back full circle, yeah. is is this something you have to live in D.C. to connect with you? Is this uh, something people can connect with you online? Like, tell me a little yeah. bit more about your business. So this business is kind of like my joy. It took all of these years, over a decade of just thinking, can I and will I and how do I to say this is a this is a gap that I want to try to help fill. And um, it is basically virtual um, consultation. It's I am an advanced practice registered nurse. I also have a strong background in nutrition. So what I do is I'm kind of like an adjunctive support to your prenatal or your reproductive health care, or even um, kind of just nutrition in general, um, primary care. And what my goal is, my goal is to work with a person from that whole body experience and meet them where there are towards their goals of health. So I can see anyone from wherever I'll be sitting here in my office working with you on a one-on-one basis. Um, And I'm still kind of in the phase TBD, whether or not I'm going to have physical office hours. But as of right now, we're launching into this space of um, just kind of that consultation. So I'm like the nutritionist with the license to be able to look at diagnosis a little bit differently. I love it. So listeners, what you just heard is you can connect with Rhea and she could be part of your care team. Just go to her website, functionalmidwiferyservices.com. And I mm-hmm. will link to it in the show notes. So Rhea, thank you so much for being here today. We have learned a lot in a short period of time. And I think it's a very valuable episode for those that are trying to conceive and that are that are currently pregnant. And I would love to have you back sometime where we could yeah. have a conversation just on postpartum because that's a whole nother. Yeah, a whole nother yes, topic, absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, thank you for reteaching okay. me all about spinning babies as well. Um, we've just continued to see low, low, low rates of cesarean sections and lots of, um, you know, OP babies turning and lots of tight bands releasing. And so um, my parting words for the audience today, because I'm not sure, did you hear Rhea say it? But she said it, um, the spinning babies daily essentials. What is it? $16 maybe? One. It's actually $10 for a digital download. Um, so that's like a nice, nice thing to always have access to. I'm like, this is great. Yeah, it's the one thing for me. Like if my clients say, what's the one thing? And I'm like, well, I'm gonna give yep. you 10. But the number one on the top 10 list is Spinning Babies Daily Essentials. So spinningbabies.com. And then again, Rhea's company is functionalmidwiferyservices.com. All right. I hope you you. have a great summer, Rhea, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan, and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 